if parenthood came with a GPS, it would most likely just say recalculating. Join Yulandi Becker and her guest experts Wednesdays at 11 a.m. for Bump and Beyond, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. And yes, you are on 101.9 High FM. I am Yulandi Becker, your host of Bump and Beyond. Today we have a little bit of a segue. Uh, my actual show that I was supposed to have was my interview with Kerry Halb today, answering your questions on breastfeeding. But like everything in parenthood, it's not predictable. And unfortunately, she had an emergency with her child come up and she couldn't join me today, which is absolutely fine. Luckily, I have a great backup plan. Yes, you guessed it. My actual job, sleep, will be part of today's show. But I'm going to be joined by Megan Hoyer today, who will be talking with us about sleep. So get your sleep questions in. Anything you have about sleep, you need to send it in. Because as you know, I love to talk with you and share with you. So you can either phone us on our phone lines, 010-140-3020. You can SMS us on 34519. SMSs are charged at one around 50, or you can telegram us, of course, as well. So I am excited to get the show going because I have a serious passion for sleep. It's not even just a small passion. It's a serious passion. Um, and sleep is fundamentally important for our survival. You really, as any person, even if you're not a parent, if you've had one bad night of sleeping, you know what you feel like the next day. And that's just proof of how important sleep is. But in the end of the day, it is especially important for children. And I'm very excited to speak to Megan just now about this. Sleep has an impact on everything when it comes to our children. And it's a much bigger impact than just them being in a bad mood. It impacts their growth. The go uh, the growth hormone is actually uh, released through the day, but approximately 80% of it is released when children and adolescents as well, teenagers, are in their non-REM sleep stage of sleep. So not getting enough sleep can stunt their physical development. It can also have an impact on weight gain. There is, you really only have to Google this to find. And that's also, in all honesty, also important thing for us as parents and non-parents, adults, to know that if you're not sleeping well, it can have a very big impact on your weight gain. It has also been found that short sleep duration can lead to childhood obesity. And there is an insane amount of research on this as well. And as well, then, of course, obesity, which leads to heart problems and those type of things. Of course, lack of sleep can also have an impact on your mental development and learning. Your baby's brain roughly doubles in size in the first year of life. They develop rapidly and a lot of their learning is done while they sleep. <laughs> And another thing, of course, is it has an impact on their immune system. Sleep is important for our immune system at any age, but especially important for babies as their immune systems are still very immature and not as strong as adults. 
I am a sleep expert, yes, but I didn't want to be biased in this situation. Hence why I will be chatting to Megan Ware about the importance of sleep. And of course, as well, um, some tricks. I mean, it doesn't help that we're just talking how important sleep is. We need to have some things that we can use. So join me. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker. The show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. Yes, you are on 101.9 Chai FM. This is Bump and Beyond and I'm your host, Yulani Becker. And I am excited about today's topic because we are chatting sleep and the importance of sleep for your baby, and obviously it this goes through to you as well, because if you're not if your child's not sleeping, you're not gonna be sleeping. And yes, that's why I am joined by Megan Hoyer today. She is a certified good night sleep consultant and also more importantly, mother of three. <laughs> so she has lots of lots of insight. Hello, Megan. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello, Yulani. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you are familiar um, with my own sleep journey, but I would like to share it with everyone as well, is the fact that I actually, myself, you had better luck than me in this regard, I feel, but I actually didn't sleep. My son, yeah, I mean, this was before good night, of course, but it was for a very long time with him. I think he slept through the first time when he was like two and a half years But he's not the actual reason why I was or needed help. I thought I was so naive and in a bubble and I didn't know better. And it was only one kid. But it's only when Emmy arrived, my second one, that I actually realized how little sleep I was getting. And I was really getting very, it was really bad. But Oscar never slept. Emmy came and I thought, actually, finally, I was doing something right, to be honest, because all of a sudden, (laughs) she was sleeping so great, much better than my two-year-old. And then, yeah, uh, came Emmy at three months and it changed from day to night and it was horrible. She went from basically sleeping through to waking up almost every hour. And I still had a toddler as well then who was waking up two or three times a night. So I was waking up a lot. And I remember even driving in the middle of the night with my husband, oh, not with my husband, by myself with the baby, or he was driving with um, Emmy. And yeah, tried to get her to sleep. And you can hear that what I just said. I said, baby, I didn't even use her name because it took me a while to bond with her because of this lack of sleep. I just, I couldn't. Mm -hmm. And that's once you help me and I sleep better, that's when I realized how important sleep is and what life-changing event it was for me, not only from a sleep perspective, but more importantly, from the fact that I felt finally I knew what I was doing. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much, uh, Megan. So let's start with the beginning. Um, How much sleep, because I've just mentioned something why, some things why sleep is important, but how much sleep do babies need? So it really definitely depends on age because obviously the older they get, the less sleep they need. But if we're looking at averages, 
Your average baby, toddler, and child still needs 11 to 12 hours at night. So what I was saying previously in terms of how much sleep they need, that definitely changes, but we look at it over a 24-hour cycle, and that would include daytime sleep as well as nighttime. But your average child, even seven, eight, nine-year-old, still needs 11 to 12 hours of sleep at night. That is a so basically a crap load of sleep. That's how much is needed. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you miss that, um, but <clears throat> what then? If you're like looking at this amount of sleep, is that on end? Do they have to sleep? What does sleeping through the night entail for you? Because that's also something I have to say that. I was, I remember, and I still have it on my Facebook as a memory where I then said, Oh, Oscar gave me a six hour stretch last night. And then someone commented, Oh, he slept through. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, no, he didn't. That's not sleeping through. I was like, sleeping through for me is like you put him down and then he wakes up the next morning. So yes. what is sleeping through to you? <laughs> so sleeping through for me would be anything between 10 and 12 hours consecutively. And what that means is, um, even if you look at the science of sleep, it's not that you don't hear your child throughout the night. So babies and children are very noisy sleepers. They're quite the active sleepers due to their brain development. But what it means is I didn't need to get out of bed to do anything to help them to go back to sleep. That is sleeping through. I think also parents have a very false sense of what sleeping through is, like you just mentioned. I've definitely heard my baby slept eight hours. They slept through, and I'm like, mm, eight hours for an adult is great at night. But for a child, definitely sort of 10 and a half, 11, 12 hours where I didn't actually need to go to my child or assist them in any way, even though they moaned, rolled over. I mean, we roll over and move in our bed. So Yes, for me, 11 to 12 hours would be considered sleeping through. Okay, but I want you to also highlight that fact again, because, you know, you mentioned that they're quite, they're not, it doesn't mean you don't hear them. What does that mean? So are they talking or are they? (laughs) So I love, you know, it's something that we always, the myth we try and dispel, or that stupid saying of sleep like a baby, and people always joke and say, I don't want to sleep like my baby, I want to sleep like my husband. But babies are meant to be, if you look at their brain development and sleep cycles, babies are meant to be active sleepers, even toddlers and children, because their brain, as you mentioned earlier on, is so busy growing in their sleep that they actually spend a lot more time in what we call REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement, which is a very light sleep. And during this light sleep, they can move, they can roll around. I've even had clients of 18, 19 months old tell me, they went into the room because they just thought something was off and the child is standing with their eyes open and they literally went and lay the child back down or the toddler and they continue to sleep. And there's a lot of research on that and that child probably was actually still sleeping. So it's things like adult sleepwalking is also a form of, a form of how children sleep lightly in their sleep. Um, so it's just a very busy sleep. Um, yes, because their brain needs to grow and develop and they're reaching milestones like learning to walk, talk, run, jump. Because of that, their brain cannot actually spend a lot of time in deep sleep. It needs to remain in an active state even when they're sleeping. Um, but like I said, you shouldn't have to do anything to help them. And, and I mean, it's, I always tell clients in the end of the day, technically you, your, your child and your toddler spends more time sleeping than what they are awake in the first two years of their yes. life. And where the hell are they going to learn to talk and walk and do all the things that they learned in those first two years if they didn't practice it in their sleep? So it is really, yeah, it is very, very normal for children to be moving around in their sleep and be active and all those type of things. But before I get to the next point of now, 
what do you mean? I want to go more into detail about that, but um, about the not going in and having to look at that. But before we get to that point is now, because you said now, what is sleeping through? You put your baby down and they sleep 10 to 12 hours that, and without you having to go in. But when do they start doing that? Is it from get-go? Is it later? When When do babies start sleeping through the mm. night? So another one of my favorite questions, because I really believe when we, when we start healthy habits, we actually set a good foundation for your children to sleep well. And I've seen that in my own three kids. Um, when you set a really good foundation, even from newborn. So yes, I don't believe in sleep training a newborn 100%. A newborn needs to be rocked, needs to be fed, needs to be all those things. But if you start certain good, healthy sleeping habits, when a child is ready, they will start to sleep through on their own. But if they're not doing it and they do need a bit of assistance, and that's why clients call us is when parents are struggling to be like, I actually just don't know what I'm doing anymore, call in the experts. Research says to us double birth weight, but a minimum of seven kilograms. And with that comes usually between six and nine months when they're on solid food and they're on protein at least twice a day. Then you can expect them to have enough sustenance and, um, yeah, enough, yeah, sustenance in order to be able to sleep 11 to 12 hours without needing food. Great. I can't wait to get into this a lot more. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. You are on 101.9 High FM. I am your host, Yulandi Becker, and this is Bump and Beyond. And like always, we are talking parenting, and more importantly today, we are talking sleep. I've asked you, please send in some of your questions that you have on sleep. So we would love to answer it, maybe more so my uh, guest, Megan Hoyer, today. You can send us a telegram on 61 895 1019, or you can also send us an email on onair at com. We would love to answer your questions. So Megan, so we've now mentioned the importance of sleep, what sleeping through the night means. Um, what now I want to, you know, I kind of throw a curveball in it. Let me say that and be a little bit contentious because we are on live radio. Yeah. And I feel that we need to push a little bit boundaries. I want to talk sleep training. What is sleep training? So sleep training again, it is well done, Yolanda. A very contentious <laughs> issue. Um, I think for me, sleep training is just. At the essence of it is training your child to sleep better. I think people have overcomplicated it. People have made it emotional. People have made it very subjective. Um, and, and there's a lot of opinions. I think it's one of the most controversial topics with regards to parenting is sleep training. And I really feel like it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It doesn't have to be a negative association. Sleep training at the essence of it is just teaching. If you could take the training out of it, actually teaching your child to sleep better is essentially what it comes to what that looks like. Now that's a whole nother question because there are many forms and ways to do it and maybe to not make it to go to spend too much time on that. What I do want to answer also with that is I really do believe that parents forget. And this is when I get clients that call me and they go, we've tried everything. We've tried granny's advice and we've tried everyone's advice and we're just not getting this right. People 
put too much emphasis on the methodology or the method of sleep training versus looking at sleep from a holistic perspective. And that's where I find it's amazing to work with a company like Goodnight because they really focus on looking from a holistic perspective at your child's sleep and not really focus. The method is important, but it's it's minor, actually, if you consider the whole thing with regards to sleep. What is the whole thing? What is some of the things that you should be considering so when the you whole are? Thing with regard to sleep that we look at is what we call foundational blocks. So things that are important when you look at sleep is, is what is your child's nutrition or milk intake looking like in the day? What is their sleep environment looking like? Are they at school? Are they at home with a nanny? What is their sleep environment? Is it dark enough? Is it light enough? Is it noisy enough? Um, other factors we look at is what is your child's bedtime routine? Bedtime routine is so important because we view it as the, the, the most important step of actually setting the stage or setting the tone for your child having good sleep throughout the night. Things like what is your child's daytime schedule look like? What is your child needing to fall asleep? All these things cannot be taken and Often, to add to that, I get often clients that say, well, we've removed the bottle at night, but my child's still waking up. And that, again, is that they've tried to look at one isolated thing, and you cannot. You cannot look at one isolated foundational block. You need to look at many from a holistic perspective. My age-old saying of you can't sleep train a child if you give them a liter of Coke before they go to bed. That child's still not going to be waking or still is going to be waking up and probably not falling asleep because it's one thing you're looking at and you have to have everything in place. And sleep is, even though we are built for sleep, it's absolutely a very natural thing and more often than not we either unteach it or then teach it again or whatever, but it is complicated. It's not as, and I'm, I'm an absolute example of that. I for sure had everything like I felt perfectly in place and I read so much about it. And in the end, I still couldn't do it properly because I was not focusing on what was or the whole picture, but only parts of the picture. Um, and, very important. I like that. But when can we actually then sleep train our children? When we look now at these different methods, and there's, there is quite a lot of methods. If you can go Google sleep training, you know, it's from Ferber to the, the lady shuffle, the baby shuffle out of the, there's lots of different things. Um, what, when can you actually then you start using those methods? Because you also mentioned that you don't believe in sleep training with newborns. Yes. So I think, you know, like I say, it's training, right? It's teaching. So if we have to put, if you want to be specific and say methods, I would say from four months because even then I would do a very gentle, slow progression because from four months, research says a child has a, the ability to self-soothe. And what we mean by self-soothe is they wake up and go, oh, that's just the neighbor's dog. Okay, I'm still tired. Close my eyes and go back to sleep. And they have, which is most important, which we cannot take out of the whole situation, is they have their sleep hormone called melatonin, which only arrives at 10 weeks, well, between, between, sorry, at 12 weeks, between 10 and 12 weeks. So at 16 weeks, four months of age, your child has their sleep hormones in place and they have the ability to put themselves back to sleep. And sometimes we need to just encourage that. And that's what I mean by teaching them for better sleep. Because like you said, Yolandi, we all designed to sleep. We can't be baby sleep in utero. That's the way we were designed to sleep. But we gain bad habits along the way or bad sleeping ability along the way, even though we can really sleep well. Oh. 
And I mean, there's also, uh, there is a reason why they use like sleep deprivation as military torture. Yes. Um, <laughs> and what about where, because you also mentioned now one of the building blocks, which is environment. And this is something that comes up time and time again is where should my child be sleeping? Where yes. should they be sleeping? Because for me, I remember very, very clearly with my children, because I had a friend who had a, like a nine and 10 year old with them in the bed. And when we had kids and I was just like, I just don't want, I just told my husband, right. like, I, I just don't want that. I don't want my kids in my bed. Maybe also why I don't have a third, because <laughs> I think maybe that one will stay with me forever in my bed. <laughs> but um, I, for me, it was like, personally, I had my children in their own room from the start, but lots of parents. And even now, if I advise parents, I wouldn't necessarily advise that. I would say there's a t- period. When should a child be sleeping? You know, and where should they be sleeping? So I think the most important thing is looking at safety. Like, you know, it's, we can all have personal preferences and likes and dislikes, but I think the most important thing when it comes to our children is definitely safety and for their good health. And according to the World Health Organization, which often sets the standard for babies and children, they recommend under six months they're welcome to sleep in your room. And I think in South Africa we get this term very misconfused in terms of co-sleeping. Co-sleeping means in their own space in your room. and it's super dangerous in terms of high risk factor for suffocation, for squashing a baby if they sleep in your bed. So according to the World Health Organization, they can co-sleep in, in your room, so close to you in your room, up to six months of age. And then if we look at sleep hormones and how a child's sleep cycles change, we definitely recommend from six months, the risk of cot death and SIDS definitely lower. So from six months, we definitely recommend their own space and sleep environment, like their own room. I I like the, that you're focusing on the, the safety of sleep. And it's really it's something stupid that I personally didn't all think of like for instance i only learned that later once i started good night as a business is that you shouldn't actually leave your child with a bottle drinking in their cot and my son did that for a very long time because i read about um, a, a baby that actually drowned on a bottle but yeah i mean we don't want to think of the worst things that can happen and i mean the chances of something like sure. that happening is relatively low but you don't, why, why take a 1% chance if you don't have to? That's why, why yeah. I always say you don't want to take any chances when it comes to the safety of your children. Another thing that is also like, just like sleep training, uh, like a go-to word. If you've just joined us, please, uh, yeah, bear with us because we're talking sleep and it's a very exciting topic for me, especially, of course. And I'm speaking to Megan Hoyer and this is Bump and Beyond. So thank you for joining us. Um, another contentious issue, like I mentioned to you, uh, is just like sleep training that comes up time and time again is the word sleep regression. People also love to throw that around all the time. It's like, oh, no, my child's going through sleep regression. It's like, what, for the last two years or what? So what is what is a sleep regression? So a sleep regression is something where your baby was sleeping better and then all of a sudden they take a turn for the worst. And for some parents, it's not that their children were sleeping through, but for some it was, and then they start to sleep bad. A sleep regression is often due to a developmental milestone. Sometimes it can mean a physical growth motor, like my child started crawling, 
or it can be in terms of brain development. So one of the most common sleep regressions is a four-month sleep regression because your baby goes through the most amount of mental um, physical growth actually at four months of age. So from four months, and if we take into consideration what I just said earlier on, they also now have their sleep hormone. And they have the ability to self-soothe. So it's a lot for one little body to cope at once. And often we find that they start to regress a little bit. They struggle to fall asleep. Um, they're needing a bit more assistance from their main caregiver. Oh. And regressions, like I said, when it comes to regressions, another good example of people using things as excuses why their children are not sleeping is teething. Is also a good one where parents are like, oh, they were kids teething. Does teething really influence sleep bad, badly? <laughs> so I think I'm sort of on, not on the fence. I've got two thoughts on this. Um, when it comes to teething, what we find with teething is when I'm in pain and I'm not sleeping well, it's actually a disaster because now I'm tired and I'm sore. What we do, what I've found in my, my nine years of being a sleep consultant, what I've found is the minute we help a baby sleep better, the parents will message me a month later. You will not believe it, but two teeth popped out and we didn't even know about it. But before I helped these clients, they were like, oh, it's another tooth. And I said to the parents often, do you know it's two and a half, just over two years before your child's got all their teeth in their mouth? That means every parent's two years bye-bye sleep. I don't believe in that. I've had three children that have teeth. I have had one that was quite a bad teeth, if I can put it that way. But what it just means is she often will cry out in her sleep at night. But she will continue to sleep because she's been taught to sleep well. What happens is she she will have the pain, but then she'll be like, what helped? What made me not feel pain? Sleep. So she'll just sort of roll over, close her eyes and go back to sleep. And I see that time and time again with my clients as their babies wake up and they're like, oh, I'm in pain, but I'm tired and I don't know how to go back. to sleep. And it is. It's a disaster. But the minute they learn to sleep well, it's like, hey, when I'm sleeping, I don't feel the pain as much. So. Sleep is the way to go. So I don't feel, I feel in some ways it can impact sleep, but that's because your child actually just doesn't know how to sleep well. So they're constantly feeling the pain of teething versus actually their body relaxing and resting. No, and I mean, that is also, I said earlier that sleep in the end of the day helps with your baby's immune system and helps with yes. those things that help against pain. And yes. the, the funny thing is as a doctor, a pediatrician once explained to me, because for me, for the life of me, I couldn't understand how my son and daughter actually, now that they're older and losing their baby teeth and getting permanent teeth have never complained to me that it hurts. Sure. Yet with a baby, it like hurts. And the pediatrician also explained it to me in the sense of, and I thought it was quite helpful. That's why I'm sharing it is that he said in the end of the day, we get levels of pain. Um, and itchiness is the first kind of level yes. of pain. And for us as adults, itchiness or even as older children, itchiness is itchy. It's no longer painful anymore. But because babies have no threshold of pain yet, because they haven't really experienced it, um, it, it is a little bit painful to them and their body reacts to this pain. And that's often also then the saliva and those type of things. And sometimes even a fever that happens, but more oh. often than not, it's a light fever, nothing to worry about. If it's a very high fever, it's not, it's not teething. And yes. the rule of thumb with teething, the child doesn't just get teeth during the day or during the night. Yes. It's also during the day. So don't, if a child is happy go lucky during the day and very cranky and sleeping bad at night, 
it's it's not teething. Not teething. Yeah, it's that's not that does they don't just get teased at night. That's it doesn't happen. But we've talked now a lot about the different keywords and sleep training and sleep regressions and what's normal with sleep and what's not normal with sleep. But what about some tips here with top tips of what's your top tips? If you had, let's start with one thing that you say that every person should have when it comes to sleep. What would that be? Don't wait. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That should <laughs> Yo, be fine. Good night. <laughs> Start early. Um, no, I think one of the most important things is really for me, my bedtime routine. It, it is something that sets the tone for my children knowing what's expected of them. If you look at a baby, you can talk to your baby. You can tell them exactly what's happening. Their brain cannot, they've got no control. They can't say, Hey, mom, a six month old can't be like, Hey, mom, I don't want to go to sleep now or I'm not tired enough or I'm still hungry. They can't communicate verbally that besides crying. So by setting or having a set bedtime routine, it prepares your child to know. And, you know, we're often so scared to give our children boundaries, but boundaries gives them security. Because if they know what's coming up and what's expected of them, it's something that's familiar and it brings them security to know, oh, okay, I know what's happening. And then I find setting that bedtime routine, setting the tone for sleep, it really sets my kids in for a really good. And I see them now that they're older. My eldest is six and a half now. And I see when our bedtime routine is a bit all over the place because we've had people over. It's been the weekend. Um, I see she struggles. And even at six and a half, she struggles a little bit to, to get into that restful sleep because it's been busy and, and things are out of routine. So if you think of a baby even more so, at least with my six and a half year old, I can negotiate a little bit. Mm-hmm. But with a baby, you cannot do that. So it's really important to set the tone. But if you, Yolandi, wanting to start, that's why I said don't wait. If you're wanting to start early, like a newborn, nutrition for me is my number one go-to. Making sure, you know, my babies, I used to take them to the to a pharmacy to literally go and have them weighed once a week, especially when I, with my first child, I didn't know what my breastfeeding was looking like. And I really wanted to make sure she was gaining enough weight and nutrition. If your child is well fed in the day, obviously certain age and those things considered, they should need less and less at night the more we're giving them in the day. So nutrition is also bedtime routine and nutrition for me are right up there as my most important areas to focus on. Never mind the sleep. The sleep will come if you focus on those two areas. Yes. No, I, I completely agree. And for me, also a bedtime routine. I, my kids are nine and 11 now and it is really. We still have a great bedtime. Obviously, it's not the same as when we were <laughs> when they were babies. I'm, I might have gone on with that routine for a little bit longer than I should have. That I also have to confess. I was so afraid of changing something and that they would stop sleeping. I was just so afraid of it. But in the end, they need changes in their bedtime routine. And but mm. it's still to this day, I spend time with my children individually as part of our bedtime routine. Obviously, they both and those things all by themselves now. <laughs> so I don't have to do all those things. But it is, it is really one of the most special times for us as a family still is that bedtime routine. We're slowly but surely running out of, out of time, but we'll finish up our, our discussion just now. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. Yes, this 
is 101.9 High FM with Bump and Beyond, me, Yulandi Becker. And I'm chatting sleep today with Megan Ware, sleep expert and mother of three. And it's been really, really insightful and I think also really helpful for um, parents to be able to talk about sleep. I think it's one of the most talked about subjects when it comes to, especially when you're struggling with something, sleep comes up time and time again. And we were just now talking about the importance of bedtime and bedtime routine. And for sure, I can tell you to this day, it's one of my favorite things to do. And some people sometimes... I think if I tell them, because we have a whole thing that we do, they go shower and then, you know, um, and now they also shower at different times. It's not so specific as when they were babies. And when we go to their rooms, I first go to uh, Emmy for a little bit, lie with her, chat with her about things, the day, what we're going to do the next day. Um, sometimes I have to sing to them still. Sometimes I have to tickle their back. Uh, with Oscar, it's always more of a, the day was really good and we're talking about football more often than not, even though I really don't like football, soccer. Um, in our household, we call it football, not soccer, but <laughs> uh, for some German genes. Um, but yes, uh, what is a good bedtime routine, Megan, for babies? Um, we've now talked about the importance of it. What, what is, uh, first of all, a good time for bedtime and what is a good bedtime routine what would be a great bedtime routine for a baby ah you're on mute megan we can't hear you <laughs> sorry sorry um so with regards right in the beginning we were talking about our bedtime routine in terms of i mean our how much sleep a child needs 11 to 12 hours so if, if having that into consideration you want to know how much sleep your child can get and most children need to go to school, even if it's play school, preschool, daycare, they have to wake up at a certain point. So we like to break up our day into a 12-hour day and a 12-hour night. So what that would mean typically is between a 6 to 7 bedtime to wake up between 6 and 7. And I must be honest, for me, that's really hard because so many people are like, I have to wake my child up for school. And I'm like... I honestly don't. My kids wake me up because they're still going to bed between six and seven. So come half past five, they're done. You know, they've had their sleep. Um, they've been asleep for 11 hours and they've had their sleep for the day. So I really feel like we need to, our children need to wake up rested. Therefore, they should actually wake up themselves unless they have to get up really early. So with that in mind, what that means is a good bedtime would be between six and seven p.m. And a bedtime, according to research, is to make sure bedtime is no more than 30 minutes. And what that means is from the time they get into the bath, you've got you on the clock. And within 30 minutes, they need to be dressed, sang their song, read their story in their bed with their lights out. So 30 minutes is what we look at for with regards to a bedtime routine. And again, every parent makes it their own. I often don't like hearing and people Google bedtime routine and it's like a spa-like environment. Anyone who said that didn't have more than one child because with three <laughs> children in the house, all three of my kids from six and a half to the age of she's almost two bath together, it is wild. It is like a full-on water fight war and there's no calmness involved at all, but my kids still sleep well. So it's more got to do with the process, but as well as the warm water, which, which activates our sleep hormones in our brain. Um, and Yolandi, I also just wanted to add, sorry, you were saying just now, sleep is such a controversial topic, but it's also the most under-researched because ethically it's really hard to research sleep ethically, especially with babies in regards to hormones and stuff. But I really encourage parents to do their own research, but to look at articles that have 
researched um, references and because so much of sleep, especially in a parent's journey, is subjective. And there's so much bad information out there and bad research with regards to how parents feel about a process. Rather look into articles that scientists have gone and done and gotten permission and made it ethical to research appropriate sleep, appropriate sleep methods, whatever you want to do with sleep, but make sure the article has got scientific references. That is, I, I really like that. And I also really like your wild, wonderful bedtimes and bedtime routines that you have and that you shouldn't be striving for this perfect kind of spa-like environment when it comes to that. Um, for me, also with the bedtime routine, like I mentioned with my own children, is that Yes, it's changed over time. And you also mentioned that your kids wake up naturally by themselves because my kids are now an age where they're asking me why are we still, because my kids are not going to bed between seven or six and seven anymore. <laughs> it's now between seven and eight. But even that is very early um, yes. comparison to their friends. And my son all the time is like, when can we start going to bed later? I'm like, you know how I know that you are getting enough sleep? And he's like, how? And it's like, in the morning when I come into your room, you're already awake. I don't have to wake you up. Every morning when I come into his room, which is about six o'clock, he has just woken up. It's not like he's been awake for hours Mm -hmm. on end anymore. He's just woken up. So for me, that is a great indication that he is getting the appropriate amount of sleep that his body requires. It's yes. not always a possibility. I know, especially oh. with older children, school activities, if they have a gala at school, if you have a movie night on a Friday night, we have yes. those things, definitely, and my kids go to bed later, for mm. sure. I don't always have them. But during school nights, as far as possible, we aim for a bedtime that's latest around 8 o'clock. Mm. Um, they might not fall asleep 100% at 8 o'clock. I think the older they get, the more they start thinking about different things, and they take a while to fall asleep, but it's not long. They, I've often... Mm. They've fallen as, or I left the room at quarter to eight by eight o'clock. If I go in just to smell them or something, yes, I'm creepy like that. Um, then they're already fast asleep. Or if I can come home a little bit later and I go into the room, they're already fast asleep. So I can, uh, I can see that it's the required. And that's the thing is they are complaining. So they're telling me that their friends are going to bed later and asking me, when can we go to bed later? So the norm is for sure not eight o'clock. And the reality yes. is, is that they are growing and they need that sleep. They yeah. need it for their day, for all the activities that's happening. Yeah. But we're fast and strong running out of time. So one <laughs> little last question that I want to, because we've talked about a lot now, nighttime sleep. But obviously my kids don't need naps anymore during the day. So that's maybe why I didn't talk about it. But naps are because some people think that if your child, if you want your child to sleep better at night, you need to have them, um, what do you call it? Um, not napping, uh, during the day or not sleeping so well during the day. And then they're going to sleep really great at night. Is that the truth? <laughs> no. So <laughs> sleep begets sleep. The better your child sleeps in the day, often the better they sleep at night. Obviously, like you said, into a certain age. So definitely napping is definitely important. And that you can also go and Google. There's there's so many requirements for a certain age of how much sleep a child is needing. 
And daytime sleep is almost, as a consultant, the last thing you cap or minimize or start to make shorter when a child isn't sleeping well at night. That really is the last thing. We rather try and expand the daytime sleep, can you believe it, in order to expand nighttime sleep. So it's often the first thing parents do. Two things you already mentioned. They put their children to bed later, hoping they will sleep better, or they try to minimize the daytime sleep. Definitely not. Because the more your child is sleeping, the more they're producing melatonin, they're lowering their cortisol levels in their brain, which is helping them at nighttime because then they're entering nighttime with a lower cortisol level. So like you said, your children then can drift off to sleep versus their brain starting to think about things and staying awake. No. Megan? It is is happening. I can see Craig is motioning to me that we're running out of time very strongly. I have loved talking with you and thank you so much thank for joining you. me today, especially short notice. It's been wonderful having you here um, and sharing your insights. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for day. having me. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. And just like that, another show comes to an end today. It was wonderful to have been able to talk a little bit about sleep. As mentioned, that is my main <laughs> job, actually. This is my side hustle. And having Megan share her insights on um insights on what sleep and why sleep is important and giving some tips I hope that has helped you. For me, I just wanted to iterate a little bit about where your child sleeps because it is a very kind of personal choice where your child sleeps. Um unless you're a single parent, it's not an individual choice though. Um if you have a partner, it is something worthwhile discussing to make sure that you both are on the same page. As mentioned, I remember with my own children that I very pertinently told my husband I really want them in their own rooms from the start, and he agreed with that. And that's one of the things that you firstly have to discuss. Some other things that you might want to consider is something like, if beforehand, and let's face it, there's a lot of things before having children that you have rules on. Things like, oh, I'm never going to drive around my, with my kid in a car. I'm never going to leave a party earlier. They, we all have those things that we said we would never do as parents, and then we end up doing them. And where your child um, is sleeping is one of those things. And But if you created a baby room for your baby, obviously at one point, you want to use it. So if you've done it, you at one point had the intention of your baby sleeping there. And it's if you're leaving your baby in a baby room, in the end, it really, uh, yeah, it's not like you're leaving them in a drug dead or something. It's a safe space that you've created for them. Use it. Are you or your partner maybe noisy sleepers? It's also a good idea to maybe then not have your baby in the room. If your husband is snoring like crazy, then it's not a good idea to have your baby in your room and rather have them in their separate space. Is your baby a noisy sleeper? I am the lightest sleeper ever. So in the end of the day, 
it is, yeah, if my, if a baby would be in my room, they would wake me up all the time. So if you're a very light sleeper, it might be necessary. And Megan mentioned that to us. Babies spend a lot of time in that active REM sleep where they talk in their sleep and move around. So it's quite normal for them to be very noisy in their sleep. And that can impact your sleep and your crankiness and productivity the next day. Um, and also something, do you, are you practicing for the comrades or something and you have to wake up early in the morning to go run? I don't know. Or go to the gym or go to work early. That might have an impact. And we mentioned 11 to 12 hours of sleep babies need. They need to go to bed between six and seven. You're not going to go to bed at that time. And if you have to sneak into your room later, it might wake them up. So it might be a reason also to move them to their own room. Initially, when babies are small, it's great to have them as close as possible when they're newborns. It makes the feeding a little bit easier. That was just my last two cents worth with regards to the sleep. But join me there next week for sure when I speak to Carrie Haupt about uh, the most asked questions about breastfeeding, and she'll be answering them, of course. But those people who say they slept like a baby don't have one, clearly. I, I always say they should sleep. I want to sleep like my husband. The world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. Let's lead by example for our children. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, enjoy your day. <laughs>